This episode is brought to you by Longhorn Lager from Farmer's Creed Beer. It's time to grab the bull by the horns. Hello and welcome to Beer and Bullshit, the podcast where we drink beer, talk bullshit, talk about beer, talk about bullshit. Uh, It's late in the evening. She's wondering what clothes to wear. No, we're not doing that. It's late in the evening. I've just returned from uh, walking my dog. In case you uh, haven't listened to the show before, I'm a rather uh, suburban dude. I live in a pretty regular suburban neighborhood, so it's pretty quiet at night. Unless some dickhead cruises by in a modified car uh, with one of those loud-ass mufflers. This is like prime time old man ranting here but like why would you pay to make your car louder i just don't understand the logic like it's not the engine's not loud enough you want it to be annoying like that's literally it's just annoying no one hears that it's like oh fuck oh fuck that's cool that guy's civic is way louder than the factory version of a civic uh, he's so fucking cool no one's ever done that it's literally just like, I want to be a dick. It's like, small penis. That's what it sounds like. You're announcing that you're overcompensating for something. Anyway, <laughs> just keep your car the way it is. You know what? Put tints on it. That's fine. Put rims on it. Just keep it the volume that it was when you bought it. Fuck face. But on to beer. Uh, Chris Peller in my intrepid co-host is not here this evening apologies to the pellheads he had something i don't know volleyball track and field fishing it's always something with that guy uh but he didn't make this week's episode so i'm solo uh but there's some beery news out there in the world um sparked largely by uh, uh a post in the uh, toronto star that the master framework agreement that the province has with the beer store is likely to come to an end soon uh for those who have been following the beer world for any period of time you'll remember that um the kathleen wins government solution to solving the beer store monopoly was to enter into a master framework agreement that allowed some grocery stores to have uh licenses to sell beer too but largely allowed the beer store to hold on to its near stranglehold uh of our beer sales particularly they're the only place that can offer discounts on volume sales i.e cases of beer uh the ford government seems pretty content to just let this little agreement that we've had in place with the beer store peter out and i think that's probably because uh you know after developing green spaces and uh defying most (laughs) common sense decisions doug ford other thing is hating unions so i think there's probably a strong push to fuck over the very large union that uh, is involved with the beer store anyway the agreement seems likely to peter out and uh josh rubin toronto star author uh postulated that it could be the end of the beer store and we're we're all asking what that might mean to the extent that uh when i have am radio shows calling me for my take on something i know that something has struck a nerve so apparently people are excited about this uh and i'm not sure why i don't think the beer store number one i don't think the beer store is going anywhere number two it looks like we're just likely to hand over some ability to sell beer to another large you know multinational conglomerate in the in the sense that it looks like ontario's convenience stores will get the ability to sell beer too and my reaction to that is woo fucking who um i know that uh you know access is good i know that other jurisdictions that have more access to beer typically people are happier there or that's what we've been led to believe but to my money i don't understand why the solution to hey the beer store has a near monopoly. Why does this big corporation run by three multinational breweries? Why do they have the rights to sell beer and nobody else? So the Kathleen Wynne government was like, okay, we'll also allow massive grocery chains to sell beer. And we're all like, hooray, Galen Weston gets a slice of the pie now too. 
And now we're just like, hooray, the 7-Eleven can sell beer. It's just fucking more of the same shit. The big breweries are going to buy their way into convenience stores, and they're going to see a way to squeeze out little guys. And there's going to be, you know, Budweiser branded fridges next to our taquitos, and there's going to be, I don't know, what <laughs> what else do people eat at 7-Eleven? Like a Slurpee machine next to the Molson Canadian. I, you know, there's going to be maybe a handful of convenience store owners who think i'm gonna make this place a mecca to craft beer and that will be fine like as it is in quebec you know there's the odd depth that's like wicked because they have amazing selection but for the most part we're just gonna see more of the same shit and more conveniently available the solution here to me has never been what big stupid corporation should sell beer it's like why can't anyone sell beer why can't craft breweries open their own stores why can't I open a store? You know what I mean? Like, why can't some intrepid beer nerd who's, like, super passionate about beer or maybe has an import license be like, I'm going to make a really, really cool store. And you know what? I'm going to sell cheese there, too, or something like that. Uh, it's really quite stupid to me that um, we are getting excited about convenience stores. The last time I was in a convenience store, they were selling crack pipes. So are they going to be suddenly supporting, like, artisanal and local craft beer and you know helping boost their community unlikely it seems unlikely um and the other element here is like they're like you know i'm i'm with everyone who's like fuck the beer store i think i you know i almost got a tattoo that said fuck the beer store in 2012 pretty much with the with the way i piled on in my writing uh but they're not going anywhere like this is, it's crazy to think that the the beer store is just going to be like gone overnight the beer store has like 400 plus stores uh, I think 70 to 80% of everyone in Ontario still buys their beer from the beer store. It's not like we're going to suddenly get sales other places and everyone's going to stop going to the beer store. I mean, the people that go to the beer store now are going to keep going to the beer store. The people that don't are like, I've never set foot in a fucking beer store. Doesn't affect you. No one cares. The beer store is going to continue to exist. They will probably ruthlessly downsize and sell off stores and fire people but they will adapt to the new model whatever it is they're going to find a way to be competitive the beer store is owned by uh, ab imbev molson coors and sapporo maybe three of the best marketing branding and sales organizations in the world yes they also happen to make shitty beer but they're really 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 good at figuring out ways to sell it and do so in a way that's profitable. So if you think they're going to take this massive retail system they already own and this distribution network they already own, it's like, oh, you can sell on a 7-Eleven now or we're going home. That's not going to happen. So hot take, the beer store is going to get better. This is my take. The beer store is about to get really, really good. Remember when there was like, hey, the beer store is not a modern experience. And so they did like fucking iPads and we were supposed to cream our jeans about, I can select Bush Light on an iPad now. That was kind of them being like, yeah, fuck off. You know, now they're really going to be forced to actually modernize. And I think they will. I think that if there's suddenly like boutique convenience stores that have great beer offerings or there's like like i said like 7-eleven is offering beer the beer store will step up its game i mean they're not super motivated because it's still the same owner breweries are going to be just having new places to sell their beer to a new market but i think uh they will adapt it's you know long overdue everyone's argument about the beer store is that it seems like a government-run shithole um some of them are okay I, i don't remember the last time i was in a beer store either but I think they're going to get good. Mark my words. Josh Rubin, good guy. Met him a couple times. Interacted with him online many, many, many times. Uh, you know, a couple of keyboard warriors. I think his take here... I don't know. You know what? I'm going to stop because it's not really even Josh's take that the beer store is going to go away. It is an editor's choice to title his article, Is the Beer Store Finished? Uh, I don't think that's actually what Josh has posited in his article. I think he's done a pretty reasonable exploration of the uh, of what's going on. So anyway, beer and convenience stores, hooray. I hope they do a little, little more creative. If they revisit the Master Framework Agreement, I hope the OCB really steps it up. Um, I can see some of their stuff 
mostly on LinkedIn, which is like, oh, God, like uh, not always the best PR coming from the OCB, but hopefully it's because it's all behind the scenes and Scott Simmons is working hard to get craft brewers their own stores, which I think everyone would agree would be the best solution. Let these folks sell their own products wherever the fuck they want. Will it happen? I don't know. If you're still here, <laughs> this has been a long intro from dog walking to beer stores. Uh, we got a show. I've got an interview tonight. Again, Chris wasn't here for the interview. Uh, kind of a random interview and a bit of a departure from what we usually do here. No, it is not a comedian pretending to be a beer person. This is a real person. Uh, this is Kelly Meyer, who um, ran a brewery in Texas for a decade before he sold it off and uh, started talking about how shitty it is to open a brewery. <laughs> so be prepared for that conversation. That seems to be where this show goes every week anyway. But he is now hawking a book called How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, and he has a podcast of the same name. Uh, so we're going to talk with him. It occurs to me while I'm talking to Kelly that my uh, my knowledge of the beer industry and my even my bullshit detectors are pretty honed to the nuances of Ontario. <laughs> But Kelly comes to, t- I, 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 it was hard to get a read on him. I mean, he's got the vibe of a, you know, venture capitalist who got into craft beer because he thought it would be profitable, but he, he definitely seems to have become a beer guy along the way or was a beer guy at first. So I don't know. He says a couple things that'll make this audience maybe, maybe cringe a bit. I'm not sure, but it was an interesting chat. It was interesting to learn about, uh, the craft beer scene in Texas, um, I don't know that I've learned how not to start a damn brewery. I think the takeaway is don't start a damn brewery. But, you know, you start putting out that out in the world, people aren't going to start breweries. Um, anyway, enough of me ranting. Here is uh, Kelly Meyer. Well, thank you and welcome. And uh, I got—I mean, I, I already mentioned the, the... Is this like sponsors of your podcast that you have as your background? Yeah, I put them all on there. I figured if I'm going to have a graphic, I may as well put them on as well. Like I like it. We have one sponsor in our show, and uh, they're called Longhorn Lager. So it's up your alley from a, as a Texan. Yeah. <laughs> and I I will confess, and I don't think it's okay to say this. I've actually haven't tried their beer yet. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a there's a local radio show that hosts our uh, that hosts our show on their uh, website, and they actually solicited uh, ads for us, and they found this brewery. I got a couple T-shirts, but I haven't tried the beer yet. <laughs> Yeah, well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. As long as you're helping them, they're helping you. But uh, yeah, I hope it's good. I do hope it's good. I may have a problem if I drink it and I've been talking about them for weeks. But anyway, welcome to the show. You are a host of a podcast and the author of a book called How Not to Start a Damn Brewery. Uh, Let's get into it. How do you, how should we not, I mean, no one here is starting a brewery, but (laughs) lesson number one, well, how do you not start a brewery? Oh, dude, I, I don't know if there's one lesson, but at the end of the day, I will say the the home brewer turned pro thing has got to go. Like that's, if you make great beer in your garage and your buddies love to drink it, or God forbid, you've got a blue ribbon from like the state fair, right. don't open a brewery. <laughs> Is that where you came from? Uh, so I did finish up a 10 year, a nine and a half year sentence as a brewery owner. And I was a home brewer first okay. back in... 2011 is when I got the, the harebrained idea to join 1500 other breweries in the United States and open a brewery. It was, it was not a good idea then. It's not a good idea now, but yeah, that was my, my ultimate, I got it the same way. So 10 years ago. So in, in, in Ontario, we, we tend to say we're, we're 10 to 15 years behind American trends. So like IPAs got big there 10 years later, they got big here. Like it's pretty much like clockwork. So I would say 10 years ago here, that's when our craft, beer boom started happening so if you started your brewery 10 years ago in texas did you kind of miss the boat were you like second wave like what was the vibe when you decided to launch a brewery no at the end of the day so there were 1500 then the the idea was in 2011 is when we incorporated so let's say i got inspired late 2010 something like that okay and at, at that at that point there were definitely regional breweries there were guys who were doing well but at the end of the day, it was nothing like it is now. Like, uh, to give you an idea, I think it was 13 or 14 when we all got freaked out and lauded that we had more breweries in the U.S. at that point than we had ever had in the history of our entire creation. 
which was pre-prohibition. Right. So it still seemed like a good idea up until then, right? Like it was, yeah. you know, not everyone was doing it. Texas maybe had, I don't know, 150 breweries. Uh, just a very different world. Actually, no, I think it was 75. Okay. Well, I think we're, I think in Ontario, I feel like Ontario's this is going to be either the dumbest or smartest thing I say off the cuff. I think Ontario's as a province, our population is close to Texas, maybe. I don't know. But uh, we have about 300, and that's way, way up since 2013. Uh, and fun, funnily enough, so I'm I'm in London, Ontario, which is the home of Labatt's Brewery. Hope Maybe you've heard of it. They got bought up uh-huh. by AB. Okay. So it's been a really hard go to start anything related to craft beer here because they throw their money around like crazy. So every bar and every restaurant and every sports stadium and everything we have is, is Labatt's. But we've got eight breweries in this city of 400 something thousand. Almost all of them started from a home brewing club. <laughs> so they seem to be, it seems to be working for us. I get where you're coming from. Cause I've seen a lot of people who think they homebrew and can turn pro. Uh, but at least for London, Ontario and Southwestern Ontario, it seems to be a bit of an incubator, these home brewing clubs, because it's where they meet the people that they make the connections and, and get the equipment and stuff. Yeah. And, and I don't, I do not want to be the guy that shits on everybody's dreams, but I shit on homebrew um, every week on this show. So it's okay. <laughs> don't okay. worry about it. <laughs> well, I should, I should end that sentence with, I don't want to be the guy that does it, but somehow I keep getting pushed into the front of the line to do so. Maybe because nobody else wants to. I don't know. But. Right. Here's what we're finding is that that model made sense for somewhere between six and 10 years. And it's about as long as you can hang on. And there's a variety of reasons for why that is. But as a rule, the, the expertise needed to create great homebrew uh, is fairly lacking in the same expertise needed to run a successful low margin business in competition against international conglomerates, right? Um, so they're, they're tending not to last longer than six to nine years. Yeah. That's a common theme on this show too. It it feels like people either lean far too heavily into like knowing how to make really great beer or knowing how to market the shit out of something. And the folks that do both well are few and far between. So that's a a pretty, I mean, I'm sure that's common of, of most businesses and most breweries. Okay. So let's take it back to 10 years ago. How did you decide to take your home brewing gig professional? I'm sorry if you can hear my dog. I don't know why he's decided to like aggressively vocally lick himself or whatever he's doing in the corner. But <laughs> I'm jealous, actually. Yeah, we um, all are. By the end of the interview, I maybe wind up in the corner as well. <laughs> uh, so part of, and, and I think people forget this sometimes too when they listen to the show. And I do get a lot of hate mail. So keep that in mind that, that maybe I'm coming from the wrong angle. But hey man, it means people are listening. I love it. <laughs> right. But when I started, I was that guy. I was the, you know, but, I don't want to say rich isn't the right word, but like I came out of a business, I was successful exit. I had some cash. I didn't want to do corporate thing anymore. And I'm like, what could I do? That's fun. And alcohol seemed like a blast, which I know you can appreciate. And I want to do either a scotch whiskey distillery, a Napa Valley Cabernet winery or brewery. And at the time I liked my house in Texas and I couldn't produce the other two here. So I opened a brewery, Um, no expertise in the industry, you know, understood business, understood finance to an extent, but uh, I was a poster child for what I'm saying. I'm basically writing that book and doing this podcast so that I won't go, if, if I could talk to me 10, 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't do it. Like that's the idea. Yeah. So t- 10, 10 years ago is about when I started writing about beer. Uh, I lived in Toronto at the time and that's when the boom was happening and there was seemed to be a brewery opening every month. And I read 1500 versions of what you just told me as a press release. I was like another fucking rich guy who (laughs) who thinks he can start a brewery. But so it's almost like a copy and paste, like three guys decide to quit the corporate world and do what they love. And it always glosses over the fact like, and they had a lot of money to start it. It's always like, you were just like pioneers in your garage. So yes, I've heard that story before. (laughs) Yeah. So embarrassingly, I, I did the same thing. Again, it sounded a little bit less common in 2011 so there's that and i if if you had gotten me on the show in 2014 i would have told you at that point uh it was already too late and i should i wished i hadn't done it i realized that the market had grown too quickly the the overall distribution and retail footprint was just not growing fast enough to keep up but it was too late and and like a lot of people i'm like well now what do i do and you, you pivot you reinvest you bring on you know new loans or bank loans or investors or whatever and you keep biting so yeah 
So what was, it's hilarious that neither of us are drinking beer tonight. <laughs> uh, but no, it, what was, okay, so I've, I've met you like five minutes ago. I'm already going to be devil's advocate. But like there are breweries that started when you started. What they're still going strong. I could, I don't know your, your scene, but there, there's some that did it right. What was missing? Like, what, like, what was the ingredient for me? You're not a beer guy for me. That's a red flag. Is that what was missing for you? Or like, did you bring in the right talent? Like, you're, 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 I mean, you're, this is an insensitive area. You wrote a book about how not to do it. So let's talk about what you fucked up. <laughs> no, if you're worried about hurting my feelings, I, I can assure you, I left both of them downstairs. Don't, okay. I'm, they're not going to have that problem. Good. <laughs> um, but no, I, so it, there's two parts to that. And one, one of the, there was a chapter in my book that really dealt a lot with profitability over popularity. And I would love to go toe to toe with you on which of those breweries you think are successful. And mm -hmm. we pull their last three years PL, particularly their balance sheets. I'll bet you that the story would change dramatically at that point in time. So yeah. there's that, that a lot of the breweries that we think of as being successful, quote unquote, are just better at leveraging capital and <laughs> better at being the Pied Piper of um, additional rich white assholes to come give them money. Yeah. Um, no, so that's that. kind of the craft beer's dirty little secret, right? These breweries you think are like independently owned, but the, really there's somebody behind it or there's more money or there's massive amounts of debt. And I think at least in, a, I, I couldn't name the breweries in your area that are in that situation, but here we're starting to actually see like, you know, it's all coming to, it's all, whatever the phrase is, but like, you know, they're coming to pay the piper. Uh, we're seeing a lot of breweries finally closing. A lot of breweries are joining forces or, you know, some sort of combination or amalgamation. Uh, so like the ones, like you said, we're like, oh, we thought they were doing great. And we're starting to see like, ah, oh, you know what? COVID is kind of like this beast that revealed what was happening behind the curtain. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. But you, the, there are, there are a handful. I mean, last week I had on a, uh, a, a couple that owns a brewery here in Toronto called Leftfield Brewery. And I think from day one, they were, one of them's accountant. He worked at Molson. They, they've been doing it right. And they, they keep getting pulled into this conversation about like, why is it so hard for breweries right now? And they're like, we're doing okay. Like they won't, they, they can't, they don't have that narrative because they've been doing it and they're opening a second locations, but there, there are some doing it well, but I think we're finally seeing like this reckoning of like, actually a lot of them were just living by the skin of their teeth. And now it's time to, you know, get out of here, basically. Yeah, no, that was a big part of when, so I wrote the book in 2019, I still was a brewery owner, and it was part of trying to figure out what I had done wrong so that right. I could figure out if there was a pathway to fix it. So I was kind of autopsying my brewery um, right before it died. And yeah. during that process, I talked to a lot of people, and a lot of them I talked to, I, that's when I started to realize how sort of over or underfunded and overpopularized the beer industry was. And how many guys were just, I, I can't tell you how many owners I know that still have a day job and 40% of their paycheck goes into the brewery every single month because they're quote unquote investing in their retirement plan. It's, yeah. it's just sad. You know, it makes me want to cry. So. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, here's the other thing about what you're doing with your book. Like, I don't think people would get into this if they knew what it was like, like a little bit of ignorance. goes a long way. It, it looks kind of sexy and fun. And I think that's where most of the breweries start. So like, there's got to be a bit of reality, like actually, you know, you're going to be uh, in the red for a long time if you ever get out. But like part of it is like, do we want to squash everyone's hopes and dreams and not have any new craft breweries? Well, so I've kind of transitioned. And if you if you listen to the podcast from the beginning to now, I'm sure the next 50 episodes will be the same. There is a dramatic shift in kind of my focus and my feelings towards it. And so in 20, when did that start? 2021, basically when I released the first episode, I was, I wanted to burn the motherfucker down. I was mad. I was like, oh, <laughs> I hate distributors. Uh, I got a, some hatchets to bury. I'm going to talk bad about all the people that ever wronged me. And I didn't want anyone to open a brewery. And, and I've transitioned now where I feel very confident and feel comfortable saying that if you get into it for the right reasons, that's different. If, right. if you understand that you could probably make 150 grand doing another job, but you're going to make 35 at this job. If you understand that you're going to struggle consistently to raise capital and that you may sell shares from time to time and everyone on board is cool with that, that's different than 
we're all going to make a million dollars, throw your money in grandma. I need that CD cashed in that you have at the bank. Right. It, you know what I mean? It's, if we're all on the same page, it's a different thing. Go make your art, have your fun, but just understand what you're getting into. And that was part of what I really did not think was, and still isn't really a part of the industry is the, the other part of that story. So is that the part you missed? We kind of glossed over that. Do you think you got into it for the wrong reasons? Because I've seen people who get in thinking it's cash cow and then like, wait a minute, this is mostly cleaning and learning how to do accounting. Like it's not actually, there's a boom, sure, but not everyone's making dough. Was that kind yeah. of like, were you like, was it like, hey, I like booze or you're like, hey, craft beers can get me some dough. And then you're like, wait a minute. No. So like I said, I'd cashed out my first company and the idea was I just needed to kind of have this active retirement. I wanted something that didn't define me the way that owning the eight different fitness centers did. It was, it took up most of my time. And yeah. so I was going to have this sort of distribution heavy brewery where you made beer, but at the end of the day, you didn't have this, this pull 24 seven. So it wasn't so much about the money as it was about the freedom for me, yeah. but I needed to make an income and the yeah. lack of consistent profitability to the extent that I could you know, pay myself and my wife a, a consistent paycheck that was different. And, yeah. and even, like I said, even if it's 45,000, if you know, it's gonna be 45,000 every year, you can still budget for that. You still have some fun. You can have some yeah. other projects. But. Yeah. So we already, I, I know your name, I'm going to mess it up. New, new Braunfels. Is that what it's called? Yeah. It's a German, like there's an old Braunfels in Germany and then new Braunfels is the one that uh, started what 250 years ago. Okay. And German style beer or just you like the name? It was originally. And so yeah. when I first opened, it was all German wheat beers. We made a Hefeweizen, a Dunkelweizen, and a Weizenbach, and then varieties from that. Oh, nice. And very quickly that stopped working um, as more breweries <laughs> opened up the traditional thing. And, and, you know, fast forward to today, there wasn't enough lactose. Nothing was hazy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. right. See, I think we've come... And maybe this isn't the case in Texas, but I think that there's there are it's almost like we've circled back. We've gone beyond hype in Ontario. And now we're actually really embracing these traditional styles. And you see a lot of people like really leaning into lagers and pilsners and German style beers. And like I think there would be a massive market in Ontario for the type of brewery. I mean, maybe that's just me because I'm burnt out on fucking haze and sours and all that shit. Cause when I get a really made, really well made like German style traditional beer i'm like this is this is what i'm talking about so i don't know if you is it is that the scene in texas now and you missed the boat or it's just not happening is it all hype all the time no I, I think the industry overall has kind of pulled back on it and i've reached out to one of the i would say best known lager breweries in the country particularly in the midwest um, to talk about sort of the logic of it and what works for them because everybody knows them they're they're popular they you know they distribute little bits here and there but I'm going to maintain until I see otherwise, I know that model. I know that profit and I know that competition. I don't, I don't, there's no, there's no legs there. Like it, at some point, the lager market, we, there were breweries that opened in 11 and 12 when we did and the powers that be in the industry just legitimately in print, just shit on them because like, you can't make money as a lager brewery. And I right. don't know that that's changed I, from a profitability perspective, at least. But but I agree with you. I mostly drink Pilsner now. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it is really just a handful of breweries who have really leaned into it because they're passionate about it. And I know they're embraced by like craft beer nerds. I don't know. I don't know what their account, you know, what their books look like. So maybe it's, I think they're awesome, but maybe they're just hemorrhaging cash <laughs> to try to do what they're passionate about. Yeah. So has well, it... the, you do volume too. That's the other, that's where you get caught up too, where you're, you're like, dude, we did... 15 barrels of Pilsner. And then you go back and look at the number. You're like, damn it. I made $27. Like this right. is, it just sucks. <laughs> right. Right. So, okay. Not coming into it as a beer person, where did you go to seek out brewing talent? I mean, you mentioned some home brewing. Was it, were you a pretty serious home brewer? Or did you look to the experts when you started trying to do commercial? Yeah, I actually went through three brewers that I had hired. And the first one I hired was a graduate of and I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank now is at the time there were only a couple of was Siebel and then the one in California, for some reason, I can't remember the name of it. And he came in and just really had absolutely no idea how to manage outside of the brew day. So as right. far as seller work, packaging the product, 
he ruined a couple of the first two batches when we first released a, a beer into Austin, Texas, which is not a place to go in and do it wrong. Right. Um, so he he didn't make it. And then the next guy, <laughs> uh, you know, he was a home brewer turned pro, had worked at some other facilities and, you know, just sort of the same thing. Just you know, There wasn't, I had a struggle to find expertise and a big part of why was just the budget to be able to pay for it. So, you know, there were guys paying, you know, 70, 80 grand, but that wasn't in the model. And for the most right. part, isn't still today for most breweries. Yeah. Most brewers make shit. It's kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right and so then you know, they're always looking for the next great thing or you know i interviewed a guy from florida who had left the industry completely after working at you know the main prominent breweries in florida and he was just like i just wanted to not worry about my check was going to bounce next week and i'm i'm happy as hell you know I, right. so it sucks you lose talent for that reason too out of the industry yeah so coming into it as person like i i've seen i've seen so much burnout in this industry but you'll still see like a little bit of you know sparkle in people's eyes that when there's a really well made beer, but the, there's there's people in this industry that are still super passionate about beer. Did you ever catch that bug like coming into it as a guy who's like this is gonna be a business model, beer's fun? Were you ever like, did you have an aha moment where you're like, oh fuck, like you know, did you have that religious moment where you drank a beer and you're like, it all makes sense, like I get why people fucking geek out over beer, or was it always just kind of like a slog and a business for you? Oh no, I was I was definitely a beer nerd before I opened the brewery. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but I I can remember going. There's a place that's closed now in Austin that used to do a Belgian beer fest every year, and it was you know you're talking like 2008, 2009. Like this, they were so hard to get, and this dude put them all together at one time, and you would just go through, and it was all these great. I think I got I don't know nine or ten triple caramel eat glasses, which tells you how drunk I was by the end. But <laughs> yeah, I had a blast, and I was like, this is this is so fun. So. For me, it was always Belgians. That was really what kind of turned the corner for me and, and what beer could be. Right. So uh, do, do you miss it? I mean, you're still talking about it pretty regularly. You wrote a book about it. I mean, there's got to be something there for you. Like, I don't feel like you're you're done with it. Maybe we're jumping to the end of this interview already, but like, I don't know, <laughs> man. Like, uh, the people that are in this industry, it can chew you up and spit you out, but like, you still seem to be hanging on a little bit. Well, I'm still a fan. So yeah, I think the the biggest thing that really was a struggle for me was, and I've I've talked about this before. I I closed on the sale of the brewery at around a seven hundred thousand dollar loss um, on September third, two thousand twenty one. Not that I'm counting, but yeah. it it took it took until almost March. It was my daughter had soccer practice at this brewery, like right next to this brewery that has never made good beer, still doesn't make good beer to this day. Right. And I was like, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna, I'm hungry. She's going to be there for an hour. I don't want to sit in the parking lot. I'm going to go have a, a shitty made German Pilsner that I know is not good. And <laughs> I'm going to not get mad about how popular they are on Facebook and social media. Right. And I did. I just sat there and I drank it. It was under attenuated, out of balance. The hops weren't <laughs> right. It was not, it was empirically not a good beer, Right. but I didn't care. And I was able to just let go, but it took eight months. And so now I still enjoy beer. I was in Phoenix over the weekend. Bottle Logic doesn't distribute here. I was at some brewery, some bar that had like, I, like I, I don't even see it. it was like twenty tap takeover of Bottle Logic. It was great. So I just drank the whole thing. I'm, I'm still a fan. So nice. Well, that's good. Are you looking for a smooth, lightly filtered lager with a balanced taste and crisp finish? Grab the bull by the horns. Longhorn Lager from Farmers Creed Beer is available at select beer and LCBO stores now. Details at FarmersCreedBeer.com. It's funny that you do a show about kind of like how shitty it is to own a small brewery right now because my, my show started like just before <laughs> COVID and was supposed to be just highlighting the stories in the industry. And for like two years, my show has ended up being about how shitty it is to own a small brewery. That's not the premise, <laughs> but like people come on here and, then, and that's like, for a while, it was like, okay, we made it six minutes before someone made mentioned COVID destroying their business. So it's like, it is kind of a dark time for the industry, but like, this is not a popular opinion with the people on my show. As a consumer, it's kind of been a good thing because like you said, there's been a lot of breweries that like, they look good sort of on social media and they're not that great. Like, it's kind of like, 
as breweries, don't get me wrong. There's been great people that make great beer that are nice people and their companies have closed, but I'm like, it's almost like it hasn't been sustainable, our growth here. And so like, as they start to close, it's kind of like, "Mm, yeah, this is overdue. So as a consumer, I don't know, I guess it's kind of, I kind of want to say it's a, it's a good thing to, to, that it's hard to run a brewery. Like we're not getting inundated with these shitty beers or do you feel differently that we're this, the, sh- the shitty beers are still out there thriving? No, thriving may not be the right word, but there's still a lot out there. Yeah. Um, nothing hurts me more when, than when the wrong brewery closes. And I know, you know, what I'm talking about, we're like, totally. yeah, there's these popular breweries that we all know make shitty stuff that, that, that just fermented wrong or whatever. And then like the good brewery across the street just sort of, just runs out of steam or they, you know, the market isn't lining up out the door for their Pilsner. They're instead yeah. lining up out the door for the Pilsner with lactose in it for some stupid reason. Right. And so that bothers the crap out of me. And I think that is still rampant, but I do think that as a consumer, there's never been a better time to be a beer consumer because there's just so much choice and so much availability. Um, just that doesn't make it any easier to own one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So presumably having written a book, and talking about this, I think you've got some idea of what you would do differently, right? Or would, or have you come to the conclusion that you're like, if I knew what I knew now, I would never fucking do it. Well, those are the, really the two options. Like, if you could go back in time, would it be like, here's what I would do differently? Or you'd be like, I'm going to keep selling fitness or whatever. <laughs> like, like you're going to stick with the fitness industry. Well, so I used to joke, I don't say this much anymore, but especially back then, when I sold the the fitness business, Part of the problem is I was one of those people who was like, for me, the job you have is important. Like you, if you have a job where you go show up at Bellagio in Vegas, you sit down at the high roller table and you get a stack of chips and this fucking smoking chick sit next down next to you. And she asks what you do. If you lie, you're in the wrong business. And right. so <laughs> if I'm being completely that's, honest, that's your, that's your marker. I yeah. like it. <laughs> so if I'm being completely honest, the smartest thing I could have done would be to take that money and buy a shopping center, get into leasing and lease it out to people. But I would have lied to that girl when I went to Vegas and I'd have told her something different than that because that sucks. <laughs> uh, doesn't pass the Bellagio test. Does your current yeah. job pass the Bellagio test? That's yeah. Fun. So so I don't know that the, the story could have been much different. And at the end of the day, the growth I needed as a person could not have happened with some of those failures and some of those knockdowns, some of the struggles that I went through. So I'm happy. I'm not, I don't regret having done it. Right. That being said, if you were to tell me that I could go back in time and do it differently, uh, that I don't, I don't believe there was a way to have made it successful. And, and part of the reason is that the breweries that I was struggling against, I look up to, I know that they are not profitable as well. And so I, I don't know if I would have wanted to do that. Yeah. Okay. So the question is maybe the book should be called don't start at Amber. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, it was struggling through kind of the mistakes that I made so that and and I've made it a point to call it how not to start a damn brewery, even though we go through lessons on what you can do. Right. Yeah. Part of the reason is that I don't know if I'm qualified to tell you how to start a brewery. Right. I'm maybe the expert on how not. And and so there's that. But there are I plan a follow up book. And in that follow up book, I do plan to kind of aggregate the lessons learned over 75 to 100 episodes what we can avoid, and then some of the things that, you know, we could do correctly. So there are some things that you write. Um, I just, I'm not sure I could give you a business model that I would give a, let's see, I wouldn't give you a business model I could give better than 80% chance. Right. Okay. So if someone were to come to you and say, I'm about to start a brewery, uh, you wouldn't be able to be like, here's what you need to do, but you would only say, here's what you need to avoid. I would feel like I'm the expert on what to avoid and I would <laughs> recommend some things on they should do, but the problem, and, and I have this issue when I hear about consultants all the time that, you know, breweries are hiring a consultant to talk about different aspects of the brewery. And I'm just like, you, you kind of have to be an asshole to think that, you know, what you're talking about, because I've researched this way more than you and I right. couldn't tell you what's going to work. <laughs> right. And I have encountered the odd consultant who's kind of made their way through a brewery and, ended up on the other side of working for a brewery and i'm like why are you now like um wouldn't you be working for a brewery if you knew about brewing like <laughs> consultants yeah. interesting moniker in this in this industry it just okay. means like out of work today yeah right right <laughs> okay so without giving away the book 
<laughs> what's the number one thing to avoid? Hmm, number one. So that changes. When I wrote the book, I believe it was different. The number one thing right now in the next five years that is going to be the, the thing everybody talks about is uh, building expense, whether that's rent or purchase, the taxes or the triple nets, that is going to destroy a lot of the breweries that we're dealing with. I mean, and, and I mean that in like 40, 50%. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, property. Yeah. All things property. Are, uh, and it's funny because we all blame our local government, but it's a universal problem. Like if people blame Justin mm -hmm. Trudeau, people probably blame Biden or, you know, the local Texas government, it's the same everywhere. So there's no government official to blame, but you're right. The, the cost of having a lease space, I've seen breweries that are having to leave Toronto. Toronto is very expensive in terms of Canadian real estate, but yeah, real estate prices are just crushing people right now. Yeah. I think part of that is that some of it is just highlighting the fact that the model was on thin ice to begin with. Right. And so you know, the, the, the problem becomes it's not rent alone. It's rent under a certain amount of barrelage. And so, uh, you know, in the United States, for example, 80% of the breweries produce less than a thousand barrels which isn't that much, but that makes it where you can't afford a facility. Like at the end of the day, you should be contracting or you should be doing something where you've got some super, like, you know, grandma owns the building. It's in a trust. I don't know. But yeah. if, if, you, if you plan to make less than a thousand barrels, your, your building's going to kill you unless you're a bar and a restaurant that 20% of your revenue comes from beer. So your, you know, your, your brewery is an afterthought. It's a coincidence. It's, we make money on steaks and spirits. That 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 makes a little more sense. Right. But then having to staff a hospitality industry business is another fucking headache that's going to kill you. <laughs> you have to deal yeah. with the HR bullshit of owning a bar. Which which I don't know how to do. I'm not trying to say that I do. I'm just saying that that, that yeah. seems to maybe make more sense than what we're doing with the, the small marina warehouse um, in, the, in the district down the street that has no parking and you know needs to produce a million dollars in revenue every year. It's, just, it's not happening. So. Yeah. So, so you seem to be a person who's considered the angles in terms of finance. Have you discovered that writing a book about this is financially rewarding? Like, is this your job now? <laughs> Not at all. No. Okay. Okay. I was like, uh, have you found a so, way to self-publish on Amazon and make the kind of money you were making before? Because you've got another secret we could talk about. No. I mean, at the end of the day, one of the things I said when I sold the brewery was that I will never do any one thing again that defines me. And so even the job that I have now, I sell Texas land. Uh, I don't like to use the word real estate agent, but technically that's what I am. But I specialize in land. I just drive around you, on dirt and four wheel drive. What do you tell the Bellagio chick? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that job. Like, because like, I'm going to, I'm going to feel good now. I don't, I'm not embarrassed about it. Yeah. yeah. But, well, it's a good time yeah. to be in real estate. I don't know. I don't know what Texas is like, but <laughs> probably pretty good. It's, it's been nuts. So I think uh, as of, it was now what are we in uh no, november right now yep. holy crap we're in november already yeah. i think it was june or july that i had been in real estate for a year and a half and i made um, as much as i made for 10 years in the beer industry not counting what i lost just the payroll so damn yeah well those aren't necessarily transferable skills my mom owns a real estate brokerage too i know a lot of real estate agents there's a certain skill set and i've yet to see a lot of people in the beer industry who possess it so i don't think it's a one-to-one -one. so it's got to be something you're doing yeah well it's it's sales oriented so what i do yeah. now with land developing is different where i try to apply that to beer and at the end of the day i was like dude i have a sales skill i can come in there's not a lot of sales expertise in the the distributors and the self-distributing breweries i feel like i can win at this game right and i did not at all so I mean, that's the part of this business that seems unwinnable when you're talking about the budgets that your biggest competitors have. You just can't, you can't compete mm. with those budgets. Like as good as you are as a salesperson, the next guy's coming in with Cowboys tickets or whatever, like whatever it is for your area. But like in here, it's keg deals. It's like, it's buy three, get one free, or it's like, we'll give you a whole new patio set. And then a craft brewery <laughs> comes in and we're like... I can't fucking give you anything. I can sell you beer at a reasonable price and it tastes good. And like, get out of here. I want free shit. You guys have a different model, distribution model in the US, but that's kind of the way it is here. 
Yeah, it's not that different, though, because it's ultimately it winds up being the same thing that the big brewers give the big money to the big distributors and then the self-distributing brewery can't compete. That's It works the same way. Right. There's just a middleman is also getting a cut, basically. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we had the same issue or I would go into bars and they'd be like, well, distributor X has those six tap handles. Distributor Y has those six tap handles. And that one on the end, we're kind of running cider on it. So if you want to fight for that one, what are we doing? That's funny. Okay, so did you sell off your brewery or is it just gone? I did. So uh, in 2017, I converted everything to mixed culture, partially because of the competitive landscape. And I was like, well, there's less people here. So I'm going to try to find a niche. Yep. And when I sold it in 2021, the new owners that from the very beginning had no intention of continuing that style of beer. So they sold the barrels, killed it, and started making quote unquote regular beer. Yeah. And they, they have more crowds than we did. I don't think they're still necessarily profitable, but they're enjoying it. And they they knew what they were getting into because I had the book out already at that point. So that's good. Okay. So you started as you wanted to go traditionally German style. Would you say you kind of trace some chase some trends there and then ended up barrel eight? Like that kind of was the trendy thing for a minute, right? <laughs> it still is, but like it was and then the new guys were like, eh, we're gonna do what we feel like, or do they just go like you know, light lager or whatever, the most the lowest common denominator. I, you don't want to, I, if you, I'm not asking you to shit on them by, by any means, but like. <laughs> no, I'm not shitting on them. They, they kind of went more brew pub model where it's, you know, one in every color and you've got, you know, kind of the rainbow and the smorgasbord and everything's pretty good. There, there aren't necessarily any standouts that are winning GABF awards, but and when you go in, you're not you're not going to have a beer that you think is bad. Like nothing's fermented, fucked up or anything. So right. I think that that's the model that is good. I think that they're doing fine where they are and they're doing exactly what they wanted to do. So again, I don't fault someone who has the money for doing it if, if they don't make money, if they're having fun and they, and they seem to be so. Yeah. So what's the evolution of your show? I mean, I ha- I will admit, I sometimes have a hard time I've been talking about beer kind of for like 10 years, writing about it, freelance, doing some stuff for newspapers, whatever. And like, it's kind of gotten to be a grind because it is a dark time. You're not even in the industry anymore and you're still talking about it. So like, what is the cadence of your show? Like what, what or, or sorry, what is, what is the vibe of your show? Like when people come on, is it like, Hey, I found a new guy in Texas. I like what he's doing. I want to talk to him. Or do you have a specific, like, let's talk about the business of beer. What's the vibe? Yeah, I try to limit the number of breweries that I talk to that are still in business as much as possible. So I may have interviewed five that are still currently in business. Steam Whistle being one of them, up by you guys. Oh, yeah. And if I do that, then it needs to be, what are you doing right? What are you doing different? And it needs to be dramatically something unique. Um, The crux of the show is I interview breweries that went out of business to autopsy what went wrong. And the idea being that we will find from that what not to do. And yeah. so I'm I'm hoping, like I said, to have 75 to 100 failed breweries interviews to be able to aggregate that data together and then really lay it over what, what everyone's doing wrong and what we can watch out for, what the average lifespan of a brewery is, that kind of thing. Because uh, those things are sadly lacking in the industry. Yeah. And, and I say all the time, as soon as I stop learning stuff, I'm done. Like, again... It's it's I do long form two hour interviews. It's wow. a lot of fucking work. Yeah. The second that I stop learning something and that people stop being interesting, I'm out. You guys can have it, but yeah. somebody's got to tell the story. Okay, so I worry my show can sometimes be depressing, but I feel good because yours sounds super fucking depressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do talk about like what went right. So I'm like, what are your favorite memories? What were the days you won? Blah blah blah. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have definitely had conversations where I'm like, how did you handle the depression? Like mine was bad. And some guys yeah. are like, dude, it's been a year and I'm still dealing with it. And so we, we get raw, there's for sure. But No, I'm sure that that resonates with your audience. I'm just fucking with you. But like, what what would you say? I mean, maybe this is book two and you don't want to give too much away. What's the common theme of like what people are saying they were doing wrong? Because as an outsider, yeah, I have, I have theories, but I'd love, to, I'd love to hear what you think has come up the most. Uh, it's a lot of specialization and then a lot of reliance on, so you get a lot of specialization where we're 
we're, we're trying to make a brand. And so that brand stands for something, whether that, I guess, you know, German style wheat beers, for example, that doesn't work. Uh, right. I, I joke now, Nietzsche's get stitches. And so, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and so if you're, if you're, in, <laughs> if you're in a niche within a niche, it just doesn't. And it sucks, but it's the truth. So the more unique a brewery is, the less likely they are to stick around. Huh. Um, the other one people are doing a lot is reliance on distribution. We, we've kind of figured that out, but a lot of times the brewery is now still overbuilt in the way that they can't produce enough revenue on site to you know feed that physical plant if they've got 18, 20,000 square feet. And so they're kind of choking if they can't get out. And that that was one thing that Lost Abbey did in San Diego. He's like, dude, we got to have this fucking big facility and we got to go alternating proprietorship and go small and go you know, tap room only. So that's another thing. Yeah, I would. I, I, yeah, see, it's interesting because as like, uh, I don't know what you call me, a beer critic or whatever. The stuff that resonates with me is is the breweries that really lean into what they're passionate about. And you're it's almost like you're saying, don't do that, like generalize more. Like I've seen breweries that are like, yeah, they kind of do the trendy shit because it's expected of them. And there's some breweries who are like, I like the brews like I'll never fucking do the trendy shit. This is the kind of beer I make. I make the kind of beer I like. I can see how that would be a business problem. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's a there's a prevailing quote that we keep saying over and over. And there's been a lot of uh, interviews I've had where they did, and the brewery owners like we pivoted, we pivoted, we pivoted. Right. And I finally finally figured out what the correct pivot was to be profitable. And I knew the day that I did that, that would be a business I didn't want to work at, and I sure shit wasn't going to own it. And so I let it die. Yeah, I hear yeah. that a lot. Yeah, like the inability to compromise, essentially, right? Yeah, well, it's, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's kind of what I did, right? Like, I fell in love with mixed culture. I switched over to that. I made beer as art, and yeah. I had a bottle club of 100 people who were super passionate about it and still to this day text me and, and send me pictures of them drinking it. But 100 people is not going to make a business successful. And so, yeah, I yeah. think there was a time where that, that worked, but now you really have to like, there's, there's a lot of people that are passionate about barrel aged beers or whatever. And it's like, you got to have good pricing. You got to have good marketing. You got to have broad appeal. So yeah, you're right. It doesn't really work anymore. I'd be curious to know. Uh, I'm a steam whistle fan. If but my first guest was Greg Taylor, when he came back to the home, you said yeah. you talk to breweries that are doing it right. What do you think steam whistle is doing it? Right. I mean, they literally do one thing and they, they do it well. What was your takeaway? I'm just curious to hear about your perspective on a Canadian brewery that I know well. Well, so that was what I knew I with Greg and Greg and I talked for about an hour and a half about it. And we talked about the startup. We talked about him leaving, what yeah. uh, what happened when he left and why he had to come back. And yeah. Oh uh, man, I had so much fun picking on that brewery when he left because they tried every fucking thing from cannabis <laughs> to it was crazy. But yes, the the yeah. wheel the wheels fell off. So when he was back, I was like, okay, let, this is a good thing. Yeah, the way he said the word brand extension with the disdain in his mouth, like it was definitely he was not happy about any of that. <laughs> well, their whole thing is do one thing and do it well. So it was like you really have fucked that over. Like so, yeah, you could tell he's pissed. I was like, he's coming back to fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's why I interviewed him. Is that that was a kind of a business model that I haven't seen in the States really anywhere. There's some guys that have done something similar, but they'll still have a multitude of different beers within that. Yeah. And I was intrigued. I was like, how do you make money? And so uh, to be honest, I think it's a, I think it makes a lot of sense. And when you really look at the iconic beer brands around the world, particularly before this bullshit happened in the 2010s and beyond, yeah, they all kind of made one or all, Shimei makes three, but like that's not that many compared to most breweries today. You know, right. I guess four-ish. But anyways, I, I think that that's an inspiring way. We we talked about kind of how he's able to finance that. You can get better pricing on grains. You can drop your cost basis. You can be expertise on the product. I do think it takes more on the marketing side. And uh, I don't think that they are experiencing year-over-year profitability but I think that they have a pathway to do so. And uh, I'm really curious to go to their brewery one day. It sounds amazing. Yeah. It's a cool experience. And then you can go to a Jays game. <laughs> yeah. As a Texas guy, I don't know that you like the Jays, but <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a better experience than it has been. They've, they fixed up the ballpark. They, they've they're just started to figure out how to get good beer in there. So that's an interesting thing, but yeah, you should check it out. 
Okay, so I'm going to ask you one more question, and then if you'll indulge me, we usually do. I, have, I usually have a co-host, my my best friend Chris Peller, and he's away because his daughter's got volleyball or something. He's got three kids. He usually <laughs> does a stupid quiz. So I'm going to ask you one real question, and then I'm going to quiz you. I'm going to quiz you on your Canadian knowledge. How do you feel? Oh, about this that? should be good. Okay. I don't. Okay. I think you might be disappointed, but go for okay, it. Okay, good. That'll be funnier. But my one question is: Do you think that there is a uh, do you think there could ever be an opportunity that would entice you to dip your toe back in the beer industry? Or are you just so burnt out on it? You're like, I'd rather just document its demise. As a opening a brewery, you mean like being on, on that side? Yeah. I mean, do you want to, do, I mean, an investor, I, mean, I don't think you're going to start being a brewer, but like, is, are you done with the beer industry or are you an outsider now forever? No. So I could see myself doing, I don't want to use the word consultant, but helping oh, we just we just shit talk consultants what are you talking about yeah but I, <laughs> I like the idea of reviewing business plans and helping in that so I, as far as let's let's go with that like a business plan reviewer guy which i have done for free <laughs> a few times. Plan reviewer guy i think you're just <laughs> redefining consultant with different words but okay <laughs> I'm, I'm comfortable doing that i don't care yeah, yeah. euphemisms all, all day yeah. but um no so yeah i, I would do that i would I have done some speaking engagements at some homebrew clubs and like kind of talk about what I, I'll go that far. There's no way on earth I'm going to be an investor in a brewery. There's no way on earth that I'm going to produce beer outside of if somebody thought it'd be funny to do a, a collaboration beer with how not to start a damn brewery. I think right. that would be funny, Right. but it would, but I can tell you right now it wouldn't make any money. No, but, um, and you're <laughs> just showing up to do the dry hop and drink beer for eight hours or whatever. That's let's be honest. Yeah. But no, there's no chance I get back in the industry, but for one, it, my wife would leave me in a heartbeat if I even uh, it suggested it, and she's right. So I'll give her that. Yeah. All right. Okay. There are. I, I haven't read this quiz in advance. I will admit to just having Googled simple Canadian quiz, but there's 20 questions. <laughs> and here, let's see if you can get more than 10. Oh, okay. Geez. I think the first one looks easy so far. Which Which Canadian city is considered Hollywood North? I have no idea. <laughs> all right okay this is a good that, start if that was an easy one then i'm in trouble there's a lot of things filmed in canada are filmed in vancouver hmm. i wouldn't have known that <laughs> okay you're not going to get this one because i think i had to i had to count it in my head how many points does the maple leaf on our flag have seven uh it was originally designed with 13 but they're now 11 yeah i had to do something out. i had to pretend i know it was pretty good. You sounded convincing. Uh, confidence gets you nowhere if the answer is wrong, though. Uh, which city <laughs> is home to North America's largest mall? Montreal. Good guess. It's I didn't the, say it. It's Edmonton. The West Edmonton Mall. If you grew up in Canada, you may have read Code Red at the Super Mall, which was a book that took place at the West Edmonton Mall. <laughs> Uh, which Canadian chain first opened in Hamilton in 1964? I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint here and just name a, what you think is a very famous Canadian chain. And it's probably the one you're thinking of. Chain of what? Restaurants? I mean, if I tell you, it's dead giveaway, <laughs> but I'm going to say coffee chain. Maybe you don't have them in Texas. I don't think we do. Tim Let's see. Have you heard of Tim Hortons? No. Okay, fuck. This thing's gone off the rails. I think you're 0 for 4. Yeah. Like, it, it was a quintessentially Canadian coffee chain named after hockey player Tim Horton. It's now owned by a, a multinational conglomerate. Anyway. I've oh, spent a lot of time in Minnesota and like my I have family in Wisconsin, so that's as close as I've gotten. And even there, I don't know. Okay, don't well, you're closer to Thunder Bay than you are us, but I don't think there's going to be anything about Thunder Bay in here. And that's north of me, as a matter of fact, because I'm down close to Detroit. Okay, you're not going to get this. Where's Canada's most visited national historic site? I don't even know this one, so forget it. The Halifax Citadel National Historic Site. Mm. <laughs> Fuck, no, no Canadians don't even know that. Everyone's going there, but no one knows why. Yeah. Okay, this is going to, uh, we've got two of these. So if you catch, either, if you get either one, I'll give you the points. What is Canada's national sport? Hockey. Yes, that is one. It it was just lacrosse for a while, but now it is hockey and lacrosse. So not curling. Could be curling. Curling's great. I was watching curling yesterday. Don't knock it. 
okay, which city has the most restaurants per capita in Canada? I don't know this one. So if you get this, I'm going to be amazed. I'm just, I, I gave it a shot earlier. It didn't work. So I'm going to go back to Montreal, but I don't think it is. Another good guess. Oh, my dog says Victoria, BC, and he's right. Uh, <laughs> which... Oh, this is interesting. Okay, which Canadian city ranks as... How many Canadian cities do you know? Are you running out yet? <laughs> I don't think I know anywhere near enough. Because Nova Scotia is not a city, right? That's a... That's right. It's a province. Okay, so yeah, I don't know then. I guess uh, that one... Yeah. Okay, what city ranks as the most educated in the country? And I'm going to give you... a a massive giveaway if you're remotely educated in all things Canada. It is our capital city. It's it's the one I pronounced wrong, I think, and I can't think of what it, I... God dang it. My dog wants a ball. Where's our capital? It's like when you guys refer to, to Washington and generally speaking to like those fat cats in Washington, we would say everybody up in Trudeau's house. I'm, I know yeah. that. <laughs> Ottawa. It's Ottawa. Okay. Ottawa is our capital and apparently the most intelligent city in Canada, whatever that means. That's weird. That's not the one I was thinking of. <laughs> uh Oh my God. What city was home to the first North American YMCA? I'm going to give you a huge hint. You've already said it twice tonight. Oh, let me think about this one. Montreal. You got one. We're on the board. <laughs> We're halfway there and you're on the board. I was, I was going to say Toronto, but then I was like, wait, I don't think it is because I didn't say that twice. That's right. You haven't said Toronto yet. Uh, okay. I would That's probably the last city I know. What is the most purchased grocery item in Canada? Do you consider maple syrup to be groceries? I don't know. It is a staple, yes, for sure. We all buy maple syrup every grocery <laughs> run. I don't even know if you'll have this. Have you heard of Kraft Dinner? No. It's boxed macaroni and cheese. It's very Canadian, and apparently it's the thing we buy the most. It's like a you box. You microwave it? <laughs> no, we boil water. We're a little bit more sophisticated than that. <laughs> uh, what fruit does Canada export the most of? Just pick a fruit. I would have guessed anything random. This is persimmons. <laughs> is that a fruit? I don't even know. It's a fruit. It might be a flower. I don't know. The answer is blueberries. Canada exports tens of millions of pounds of blueberries. It's the second world's second largest producer of the berry. That's amazing. Well, wow. I'm blueberries account for 61% of our export dollars. That is phenomenal. I have no idea. I'm learning tonight too. Of the dollars? 61% of our export dollars are from blueberries. This <laughs> feels kind of made up, but I'm going to keep going. Okay, what is Canada's oldest city? If you can guess the century, the city, or the province, I'll give it to you. Century? So it, would it be the oldest city since Canada? Wait. Uh, uh, I'd go back the, to Nova Scotia. The city predates the city, it predates it predates us being a country, so it's even older than Canada as a country. I feel like it's on the other coast, then, but I'm going to go with Nova Scotia, anyways. You're close-ish. St. John's, Newfoundland, 1497. Okay, how many time zones does Canada have? Uh, I think we have the exact same amount as the U.S. It's just a line, if you can remember. I, think be, I was going to say four, but I wasn't positive that the U.S. didn't have more space than us. You have So we have six. Do you really? Pacific, oh, Mountain, okay. Central, Eastern. We also have Atlantic and Newfoundland. Newfoundland has yeah. its own. <laughs> All by itself, okay. like barely over there, probably. We're both doing terrible, so don't feel too bad. I've lived here my whole life, and i am got maybe a couple more than you. Okay, which Canadian city has the most tourists? Toronto? Yes. <laughs> I knew if I just looked at you long enough, you'd say Toronto. That's correct. Only one province is officially bilingual. Can you guess which one? Quebec? New Brunswick. Hmm. How many oceans border Canada? 
Uh, I, I, I think you're going to say shit. I'm going to say shit. Three. You're right. Pacific Atlantic, and then we have the Arctic. I was afraid there was going to be one up on the Northwest that like, I didn't know what it's called <laughs> or something. I was like, I don't remember there being another ocean, but who knows? Okay. These are too hard. You're never going to get 50%. Which province is home to Canada's tallest mountain? You're not going to get that. Mount Logan in the Yukon. In which province can you find a provincial park? Okay. <laughs> in which <laughs> province can you find a provincial park named Blow Me Down? It's a provincial park. And the cities of Goobies and Come By Chance. Well, I think it's obvious it's wherever you live, but That's I don't right. know. <laughs> Everywhere I go is a provincial park named Blow Me Down. It's Newfoundland. Okay, last question. I feel like you maybe, yeah, okay, you're going to get this one. 80% of the world's supply of what comes from Canada? Maple syrup. Give me maple syrup. You got it. And that one was oh. worth triple points. So I'm going to say you're the winner tonight. Congratulations. 100% of the world's supply of Labatt's Blue, I think. So we could have said that. Well, it's all owned by AB InBev now. So it's Belgian Brazilian conglomerates selling our shit all over the world. Uh, Tons of legal weed, though. That's probably going to be our next major export after blueberries because Canada has legalized cannabis and it's fucking everywhere. So if, if I ever come on your show, you can quiz me about Texas and I will just get destroyed. So don't feel too badly. I appreciate you being a good sport. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll meet in the middle. Or I'll, I'll quiz you about like Kansas or some shit. So it's like halfway. <laughs> I mean, I think I do okay about Detroit, but it's only two hours from here. That's where I grew up watching sports. So Kansas, I might have some problems. Yeah, well, thanks well, for coming nothing... on the show. If people want to check out your show, I'm guessing it's just how not to start a damn brewery uh wherever people get podcasts yeah you should be able to google damn brewery and find it all over the place but how not to start a damn brewery is the name of it yes okay and i have a copy of your book i will admit to only skimming it so far but if people want to buy that i think it's all over amazon because when i googled you last it popped up everywhere so you're doing what you need to do your seo is strong your Google search well, terms are solid. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't know how to run a brewery for a decade, so at least I could figure the one thing out. But. <laughs> well, thanks, Kelly. It was nice to meet you, and thanks for chatting, man. Agreed. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks. And thanks for the shirt and the beer back in the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Take care. A longhorn. Longhorn lager? Do I look like a sarsaparilla man to you? One longhorn coming up. Longhorn lager by Farmer's Creed Beer. Grab the bull by the horns at select beer and LCBO stores. Texas Forever Street.